here. How many, how many of you here are younger than 20 years old? <laughs> younger than 20 years old. This message today is to you. Now, uh, the message is for everybody, uh, but the message today is to all of you that are, that are younger. Um, I've preached a lot of children's sermons in my life, and this one is to all of you. I hope that you'll listen to me very carefully. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to a book that a lot of people don't read. It's in the Old Testament. It's called Ecclesiastes. It's uh, right there, sort of in the middle. There's Psalms, which is essentially in the middle of your Bible, and then Proverbs, 31 chapters, and then Ecclesiastes, uh, written by Solomon. And I'm going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 7, and I'm going to just exhort you on the basis of that. Now, when you get to Ecclesiastes 12, as we're reading along... Let me tell you what we're reading. Solomon, who is the writer of this, is using a word picture. Some of you in school may have studied already extended metaphors. He's basically making a comparison. He is comparing the aging process, that is, people as they go on in life and as they get older, he's comparing it to the gradual collapse of an old house. We see a new house that's built, and it's exciting, and a new family moves in, and all the children have new bicycles, and their beautiful uh, laminate floors, and you may have seen the beautiful marble in the, in the kitchen, and all new faucets, and new furniture, and outside it's just gorgeous, and the lawn, it's landscaped, you know, everything is really beautiful. And then the children grow up, and they move on. And the parents get older, and they might want to sell the house, but maybe they can't sell the house and don't really have money to fix it up. And little by little, the house collapses. That's what Solomon says that getting old is like. Let's see what he says. In chapter 12, in verse 1, Remember now your creator. Young people, children, who is your creator? What's his name? There you go. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Now that's the first little comparison. Oh my, when you're young, you feel great. Sometimes you just jump up in the morning. You're just so excited. And as you get older... You want to go outside with your friends. Maybe your friend got a new car, a hot rod. They don't call them hot rods today. That's an old way of talking. But a really fast, shiny car. And you're all going out, maybe some boys and the girls, and it's so exciting. School's out on Friday, and you're going to go have a great time on the weekend. And then, and then as you get older, you get really, really old, like Pastor Ron Smith. He's not that old. 
And you feel like in the morning, if I can just move my feet, can I just get them down? And somebody says, you want to go out and get a fast car and drive and say, I just like to make it to the bathroom in the morning. That's what I want to be able to do. That's what it's saying there. It says, while the sun and the light and the moon and stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain. In other words, it's a time when it's really difficult for you. And as you get older, it's that way. It seems like your life is sort of a dark time as you get older. Not that you can't enjoy the Lord, but it's just kind of dark. You know that your most exciting days are behind you. And more difficult days are ahead. And it says in verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Now let's think. Again, this is a metaphor. It's a word picture. Do you know what that means, the keepers of the house? Now how many of you children here have seen older, very old people generally, old people, and certain parts of their body tremble? Generally, what parts of their body shake when they get really old? Somebody tell me. Their hands. Maybe their feet. There is a specific disease. Have any of you heard of Parkinson's disease? I've had dear friends with Parkinson's disease. But even if you don't have that, I've seen people that are older, and when it says the keepers of the house, your hands and your feet are the keepers of your house, and they shake like that. They shake. That's what it's talking about. It says, and the strong men bow down. Now, do you know what it means, the strong men? Have you ever seen perhaps someone walking across at a crosswalk? There's a light. And you saw somebody and you looked and then you looked again and it was somebody, a very old person, a woman or a man, and they were walking across the road and they walked like this. How many of you have ever seen that? You know what I'm talking about? Their back is like, it looks like a bow. It's like somebody's pulled a bow like that. That's what that's talking about. When the grinders cease because they are few, that's very easy to figure out. What are your grinders? Come on, what are your grinders? Your teeth. Your teeth, your grinders. When it says they cease because they are few, what does that mean? Because they are few. As you get older, what happens? Your teeth fall out. Or they break. Or you have to get new teeth. But guess what? The new teeth are never as good as the real teeth. God always makes it better. But that's what happens. And it says, those that look through the windows grow dim. In other words, you can't see really well. Now look at this. I'm, these are just reading glasses. That's not bad. But some of you, man, you get older. My wife has to wear really strong glasses. If she gets up in the morning and doesn't have glasses, she might think that I'm somebody else. What are you doing in my house? Because you can't see well. That's what it's talking about. And it says, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low. Now, that's interesting. What that means is you can't be around friends all the time. Isn't it wonderful when you're young, you can just spend a lot of time being around friends and you can make plans, but you can't really do that. The doors are shut. You can't really go outside. You're just like stuck. And after a while, as you get older, the old timers would call them shut-ins. You just can't go anywhere. Maybe your legs are tired or you can't move, you're very ill. 
and you have to have your groceries delivered, you're just stuck in your house. And if you go anywhere, you might have to go in a wheelchair, if at all. Boy, this is a sad picture it's painting, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of sad. When one rises up, it says there in verse 4, at the sound of a bird. You know what that means? Anybody thinking here? You know what that means? Well, let me tell you what it means. It means you can't sleep as long. When you get older, it's amazing. You just any little thing will wake you up. You just sleep for a while and you can't go to sleep and you get up and there's a little sound and it wakes you up. You just, you can't sleep as well. And the daughters of music are brought low. You know what that means? It means your hearing goes. You know what I'm talking about. You're talking to people as they get older and they're constantly saying, what? What did you say? What did you say? What? They have to say that. And sometimes they have to get a hearing aid and they're playing with this little, what are they doing, you're thinking? They're playing with the back of their ear. No, they're working on their hearing aid so they can hear. Young people aren't that way. Young people, it's amazing how well they can hear. Man, I know young people, they'll be that far across the room and you can be over here and make a little comment and they can hear it. They can hear so well. But that isn't true as you get older. And they're afraid of height and of terrors in the way. Now, you might think this means that old people are afraid of heights. Pastor Ron was talking beforehand. Most of you know that he had a window washing business and he had to go up way high. But that's not what this is talking about, afraid of heights. It means that you're afraid of very high goals. You can't do them anymore. Oh, man, when I was young, what can I do to change the world? I have all these great aspirations. What am I going to do? Here are my life's goals. And then you get really old and you think... My life's goal is to make it safely to the bathroom in the morning and then walk over and sit down on the couch. You can't have those great goals. And then it says, uh, and then it says the almond tree blossoms. Does anybody know what the leaves on an almond tree look like? Uh-huh. White or gray? You know, the almond tree blossoms. You know what that means? What happens to people as they get old? They either lose their hair, but if they don't lose their hair, it tends to get what? Gray or white. That's what it's speaking of there in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The grasshopper is a burden. Now, we don't know exactly what that grasshopper means, translated grasshopper, but it means a very, very small insect. But let's say it's just a grasshopper. How many of you have seen grasshoppers? Now, as most of you know, it's hard to pick up a grasshopper because they're so heavy, aren't they? No. Now, it may be hard to pick them up because they jump so fast, but that's not what that's talking about. Grasshoppers aren't heavy. But you know what this says? As you get older, it's like, oh, oh, I can't, I can't pick up that grasshopper. It's just so heavy. What it really means is it's just life is so hard. You can't pick up anything. You don't have the strength you used to have. Desire fails. And then it says, for man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. When people would die in this culture, is isn't quite like ours. They'd have a funeral procession. You still see some of those. But there would be mourners, people that would walk after the casket and would just mourn and cry. And then the saddest part, it says in verse 6, 
Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Now that's even more serious. This means like your, maybe your skull, your backbone, your inner organs, all of these things just collapse. That's what it's talking about. And when that happens, verse 7, then the dust will return to the earth as it was. Mm. How many of you young people, children here, have been to a funeral? Okay, now I want to tell you, this isn't pleasant, but I want you to know this. The body's put into a casket. They're not alive, so there's nothing strange about it. And the body's put in the ground. And then, what happens to that body? You don't want to open the casket and see. The body just slowly, slowly decays, goes back to dust. And then, if you were to open a casket, and sometimes for reasons of investigation, of crimes and so on, caskets have to be opened. Maybe a casket that's been down there many, many years, you open the casket, and the only thing left in the casket is a what? The skin's all gone. The organs are gone. What's left? A skeleton. You say, Pastor Sandlin, that's just kind of sad to be talking about on a Sunday morning. Yes, but it's true. It's true. And then it says the spirit will return to God who gave it. Verse 8 says vanity of vanities, says the preacher. The writer is the preacher. All is vanity. Now on the basis of that, I want to say just one or two main things. And apply this to your life. Children, listen very well. Do you hear all that stuff that I said about how your body will collapse slowly like a house? It just kind of falls apart. You hear about that? Guess what? Remember, message for all of you, 20 years old and younger. Raise your hand. You're 20 years old and younger. Raise your hand. Don't be afraid. Okay. <laughs> that collapse I told you about. That skeleton in the end that I told you about. All of that, that's going to be you. That's going to be you one day. You need to think about that. Now, you'll be with the Lord if you're trusting Christ. And that's a great thing. But that will be you one day in this life. Now, in light of that, here's what you need to know. And here's what the Word of God teaches. The time to begin serving God with all your heart is when you're a child. When you're young. Oh, my. There are so many children, so many young people, and their attitude is, well... Maybe they don't think much about it, but when it comes to their mind, yeah, I know my parents go to church and they take me to church and old Pastor Smith gets up there, Dr. Smith, and preaches from the Bible. And I guess it's okay. That's not really my thing. What I'd really like to do is stay home and play video games. There's a brand new video game. And if I could just get it for Christmas, that would be great. That's the really important thing. And you're probably thinking, and then maybe when I get really old, like when I'm 25, really old... Maybe then I'll enjoy going to church, and maybe at some point I'll get married, and maybe even I myself will have children, and we'll go to church. But not right now. Right now, I'm going to have a really good time and enjoy my life, and all that fuddy-duddy religious Christian stuff, I'll just kind of put that off until later. Don't count on it. Because if you right now have an attitude that you're not going to serve God and push him away. You're going to develop habits, not caring about church, 
not caring about the word of God, not caring about prayer, and you think that you get to 25 or 30 or 35 or 40 and just say, I'm going to change like that, you will have developed habits that are going to make it very hard for you to come back to the Lord. Yeah. That's why right now, right now, you need to have a zeal for God in your heart. Oh, listen very carefully to me. You say, well, no, it's not true, Pastor Sandlin. That's not really true. Children, children aren't really supposed to be good Christians. Where did you read that? Where did you hear that? Did the Word of God ever say that? Did the Word of God ever say that children should not be godly? Did the Word of God ever say that children could not be zealous Christians? Parents, did the Word of God ever say that? No, they didn't say that. God never said that. Samuel, from a child, was a mighty man of God, a mighty child of God. David was a mighty child of God. It's amazing what God can do with young people. He calls them when they're young. Do you know what a privilege it is for you young people to be here to hear the word of God? Do you know what a privilege it is to be here and hear the word of God? Every Sunday, you hear from this blessed book. Every Sunday, you hear songs. Oh, what a privilege that I grew up in a very Christian family. Every Sunday, we were in the Lord's house. We were hearing the word of God, and people were praying. That's a privilege that you have. Never assume, never assume that if you don't serve the Lord now, one day you'll just magically start serving God. Um, Pastor Smith went to a, a Bible college, a very famous Bible college, and in many ways a good Bible college up in Chicago. They, uh, one thing they did, they were one of the first colleges in the country to have Christian radio. They had it for many, many years. And they had a program, it was usually broadcast, this is back before TV was all that popular, a program on radio, people would listen to their radios. This program was called Unshackled. How many of you have heard Unshackled? And it was a dramatization, true story. In fact, my dad's, my dad's story was on Unshackled one time. It's basically a story about how people would grow up and fall into terrible sin. Men would become drunk, drunkards or, or dope addicts. And uh, women would maybe become prostitutes or go away from the Lord and have several marriages and their life was destroyed. And then they heard the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. They trusted the Lord and he broke the shackles. They were unshackled. And God poured out his grace on them. Beautiful stories, wonderful stories. There is a downside to that unshackled. And you know what it is? People tend to think that the greatest grace that God manifests, the most important salvation that God accomplishes, is with adults who have gone deep into sin and God reaches down and rescues them. But that isn't true. That is God's grace. Isn't it glorious that God saves people like that? They're older, they fall away from the Lord, their lives are destroyed, they're on the... the mess heap of life and God reaches down in his grace and saves them. But do you know how God's grace can be shown in a way that's even greater than that, young people and children? God saves you at such a young age that he keeps you from ever living a life like that. That too is God's grace. Now adults, I'll use this language, I hope you don't forget it. God's preventive grace is greater than his restorative grace. 
God's preventive grace is greater than his restorative grace. God's grace that prevents you from going out and living a terrible life of destruction and addiction and sin and pride and secularism and obsession and addiction, all of these things that tie up your life and lead you to sadness and destruction. God's grace can deliver you from that. But the greatest grace is the grace that saves these little precious ones so that they never have to go through that. By God's grace, I've never had to go through that. By the way, there's always a price to pay for living a life like that. I'll never forget, thank the Lord for my dad and all the things he taught me. He said, son, if you leave God's will and go into a bar and get drunk and get into a fight and somebody knocks your eye out, God will forgive you for your sin, but he won't put your eye back in. That's kind of a blunt way of saying an important truth. God will save you. God will forgive you. God's grace is glorious. But God's grace won't always restore everything you lost when you were a sinner. If you're here and you're older and were converted when you were older, you know what I'm talking about. You'll have scars, you know. You know when you cut yourself, you actually, generally, God made your body to heal itself, didn't it? And, and the cut goes away and the bleeding goes away, but if it's very deep, you'll have a scar for the rest of your life. Well, that's the way it is in salvation. Thank God for his grace. He forgives us and he changes us but you'll still carry the scar. I am trying to help you young people so that you live your life so you don't have any or many of those scars. That you live your life for God. You seek him with all of your heart. Uh, many years ago now, my uh, youngest daughter is a godly young woman. She's now in her, well, 35, 36, something like that. She's a deputy sheriff, police officer. She was going on a mission trip to Mexico. And one thing that was necessary, the church she was going with uh, required that everybody there have to give a Christian testimony. You know, how were you saved? And she came to me and she said, Dad, I really feel bad. I, don't, I feel inadequate. Because all of these other kids talk about how they got, their life was full of addiction and they did all sorts of immoral things, and then God saved them. And mine is so boring. All I can do is say that I just grew up in a Christian home and trusted the Lord, and that's about all. But you see, that's the best testimony of all. That's the best testimony of all. That you grew up in a Christian home, and you can never remember a time not trusting the Lord. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to me. Conversion to Jesus Christ is vital. You can't be saved without being converted. But you know what? It's possible for little children to be converted, and they were converted so young they can't even remember it. I don't ever remember being converted. You say, well, 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 how do you know you're saved? Because I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. God give us a whole generation of children, of young people that say, you know, I, 
I'm not sure exactly when that happened because I was so small. I just, I know I'm a sinner. I, I was born into sin, but from a little child, I came and heard the pastor preach and I heard the gospel and I, I trusted Christ. I don't remember how or when it happened. That's okay. As long as it did happen, that's okay. And don't feel disappointed when other people say, oh, I can remember I was 27 years old and I was out drunk or I was, had been taking drugs and I heard the gospel and I immediately trusted Christ and immediately changed. Isn't that great? Yes, that's great. It's not as great as little children that have heard the word of God from a little child who are nourished in the gospel, nourished in the gospel, so that they never even remember anything but trusting in Christ and being with him. That was true of Samuel. That was true of Jeremiah. That was true of John the Baptist, probably true of Daniel, and of many others. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. There will be plenty of opportunities for you to leave the path of righteousness. Don't take them. I was, um, I think I was about 17 or 18. And one thing I like to do is take very long walks. And one long walk that I like to take led me on a, a particular road where there were a couple of salt factories would mine salt right next to a large lake, Lake Erie. And uh, about the only thing that traveled on this road were these large salt trucks, you know. Well, I was walking on this road one day, just walking along, and I looked in the middle of the road, and I saw a very bright, white, glossy, shiny magazine. And that attracted my attention because <laughs> this is a road that had all sorts of trucks going on it. Now, some of you here know, you've maybe seen what I'm talking about. If things are left in the road, particularly books or magazines, like in about four minutes, what happens to them? They got tire tracks all over them, and they're all messy. And you can tell that book has been left in the road. We can tell. You can tell just by looking at it. But this one was amazing. Beautiful, pristine, clean condition. So I walked over to this magazine, and I looked at it, and I'll never forget the title. I was looking down like this. The title was Intercourse Illustrated. To you children, I won't say any more than to say it was just all about sex. Illegitimate sex. I looked at that and I thought, that's the strangest thing to be out in the middle of nowhere. This wasn't, this was kind of in a rural area. This wasn't where there are a lot of houses around. What in the world is that doing right in the middle of the road where all these trucks are? And you know what? By God's grace, you know what I did? And I was young. I had all sorts of urges like all young people do. You know what I did? I just walked away. By God's grace, I walked away. I believe that had I picked up that magazine and looked in that magazine, it would have changed the course of my life forever. I don't believe I would have met my wife. Don't believe I would have married this very godly woman. Don't believe that I would be in the ministry. 
I believe somehow Satan dropped that right there for me to see. By God's grace and his grace alone, I walked on. Young people, you will have temptations like that. Maybe not that one, but temptations like that. There will be plenty of opportunities for you to depart from the faith. Oh, one of the things that breaks my heart more than anything is Christian young people reared up in a Christian home that walk away from the faith. How do you mess that up? How do you mess up a life when you're trained to hear the word of God, trained to live a good life, not to live a life of addiction, to live a life of joy and hope, not to be enslaved by sin? How do you mess that up? Don't ever do it. Young people, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days draw nigh. The greatest testimony is not the testimony of a person who late in life trusted Christ. The greatest testimony is when older people, unbelievers, sinners, look not at your parents, thank God that we have godly parents, but they can look at little children and say, that's Christianity. There must be something to it. Look how these little guys love the Lord and want to serve him. That's the time when you should be serving the Lord. Father, may these truths affix themselves to our hearts. May they rivet themselves to the hearts of these young people, these children, so much that they never forget them. Lord, help me to live long enough to come here perhaps even in my early 80s and to see some of these children as elders of the church, leaders in the church, faithful to the church, married with their own children, bringing them up in the faith. Oh, what a testimony to Church of the King. What a testimony to Pastor Ron Smith that pours his life into all of these children that perhaps after he has gone to meet you, dear Lord, yet his work and these children have grown up to be strong in the faith, zealous for you. We're praying in faith that you will do that. Help them to remember you, O God, the creator, in the days of their youth. We pray it, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord and King. Amen. Are there any questions? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Those spirits? No, the Bible does teach that when you die, your body goes to the ground until the resurrection. You know, we all, we all will be resurrected one day. Even unbelievers will be, but they'll be resurrected and sent to judgment in hell. Believers, of course, will be resurrected and with the Lord on the new heavens, here in the new heavens and new earth. But the Bible says several times that when we die, the spirit goes to the Lord. The spirit in the Bible is the, it's not something spooky, it's the breath, the breath of God. Our breath of God, and the being and the breath of God goes back to the Lord. That's all I was talking about. Well, I was talking yesterday about that. Um, when the Bible uses the term soul, uh, it just means being. In other words, the real you 
is what I'm looking at right now. So there's not something inside us that's the real us. The real us is this body plus the spirit that is woven into the body. That's why the resurrection is so important. But this right here is not like a shell. It's not like a, you crack a shell and the real thing's in the inside. It's all woven together. So whenever you read the word soul in the Bible, it basically means being. Like, it, you know, it, the Bible says in Genesis that God made man and he, he, he breathed, he formed a man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath and man became a living soul. Well, it means a living being. Some of the, trans, it means, whenever you see soul, it means just being or person. Your soul is your person. Yes. Well, when you're in the resurrection, your body is reconstituted and the spirit enters your body again. And so you're a full being again. You're, you're better than you are now. Yeah. That's important to understand. The soul in the Bible is not something inside you. Soul just means being. In other words, in the Bible, a biblical anthropology a person is made up of God's spirit, this immaterial part, woven into the body. And when you die, the spirit. Let me put it another way. Had man never sinned, you would never be without a body. Right? I mean, why do, people, why do people's bodies go on the ground when they die? Why? Because of sin. <laughs> but if man had never sinned, you'd, people would always live forever and always have a body. Other questions? Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. Like you, Celeste, I had a very strong, firm dad. Strong and firm dads can make mistakes. But trust me, strong and firm dads are much better than weak dads. Now, I want you to know that. They can sometimes be too strong and too pushy, but they are better than weak dads that won't stand for anything. X, thank you so much. Thank you. Are there others? Maybe. Oh, yes, Chuck. 
Travis in and I'm over in Newark. And uh, I'm here with my 11-year-old granddaughter. And uh, I'm thinking about the generational influence of parents and, and children. And uh, I was one of those that walked away from the faith. Even though I was raised in a Christian home, I walked away. And for years, I wandered. And then I came back by the grace of God. My son, to his credit, is raising a Christian family, two young children. But I think it's important that we emphasize that in life, because of because of the temptations in life, and, and, and let's not make something bigger of this internet threat than it is. Temptation is temptation is temptation regardless right. of what era you were born, what, what circumstances you're in. Right. That parents, like Celeste said, are consistent in their in their their belief and, and, and demonstrate. You know, education is caught more than taught. Yes. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I mean, that was excellent. But what specific aspect, what specific thing to elaborate on? The... What if you get a parent like my father oh, yes. who walked away at age yes. 45? Yes. Well, if, you were a, if you're a young person and you have parents that have left the faith, that's what you're talking about, or at least, yes, <laughs> you children are called to be faithful to the Lord no matter what your parents do. I know of a number of children, they're now adults, that love and serve the Lord, whose parents did just what Chuck was saying, walked away from the faith. You be zealous no matter what anybody else does. Now, remember that. I don't know how many of you have heard of Jonathan Edwards. How many of you have heard of some people called the last Puritan, Jonathan Edwards? He said this one time. He said, I've got two resolutions, that I will serve the Lord. Resolution number one. The number, resolution number two, if nobody else serves the Lord, I will serve the Lord. You remember that. I don't care if your children go away from God, if your parents go away from God, if your spouse goes away from God, you determine you're going to follow the Lord no matter what. God honors obedience. Thank you, Chuck, for that point, because there are a lot of, sadly, parents that move away from the Lord. Children, don't fo- never follow anybody to sin. Anybody. Don't follow anybody into sin. You honor the Lord. We've got maybe time for one more. Yes. Uh, my mother was a Sunday school teacher, and uh, she quit and got a job in a beer garden in a bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bar uh, My dad never was a believer. So when uh, I came to the Lord at age 16, uh, it they, uh, they didn't like it. They got mad at me. They, uh, they got mad. They were very displeased. My dad was uh, very uh, ashamed that uh, I was uh, telling preaching at age 16, 17. <clears throat> uh, and, uh, so I had to pay a price at a young age. But it's worth it. Yes. It's worth it. Thirteen, I uh, had enough of sin, and uh, you are persuading Linda. 
started, she always served the Lord. She never rebelled her old man. And wonderful. And uh, she made a profession of salvation when she was seven years old. My oldest daughter, I took her to Mexico with, with me, and she was four. Right. And uh, I won't tell the whole story, but when, when we came back, she was playing under my desk, and I was studying. And later she told me that was when she gave her heart to the Lord, and she never did rebel. And yes. She's teaching. She's a Bible teacher. She's always been faithful. And, and uh, the Lord has prospered her, too, because she, she uh, always believed that the Lord would bless her and prosper. Yes. And uh, sure enough, uh, she and her husband got rich. Yes. Your father may have been ashamed, but your heavenly father was not ashamed. Well, I think we'd better stop now. Is that correct? God bless you.